May the words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. So here we are, 11 days into the lockdown. I wonder how you're going. And here we are for the second Sunday doing church, gathered but not together. Gathered in our prayers, gathered in the fact that we're praying together, but in our own homes. And it's an interesting thing that we are gathering with Christians around the world who are doing exactly the same thing. Gathering in their own homes. It's a different way of being church. It's maybe a new way of being church. And it'll be interesting to see uh, what effect it has on the way we do church when this is all over. Well, this morning for our gospel reading, we had the story of Jesus what is traditionally called triumphant entry into Jerusalem. It was a large march. Maybe. I wonder what your experiences of marches have been. Have you been on any? Or have you just observed them from maybe the side of the road or from a distance or just seen them on television? What was it like for you being in or observing those marches? And what's it like now remembering those marches? This may surprise you, but when I was uh, a young student at university, uh, as a student leader, I attended and marshaled at a number, of march uh, a number of marches. A lot of them were student marches about important issues like our student allowances. But there were some really big and important marches through that time. One of the most memorable was the anti-SIS bill march in 1977, so that ages me, doesn't it? Uh, which was huge, and the Student Association was simply one of many organisations that protested that bill. It was a monster march. Then in 1981, there were the anti-Springbok tour marches, and I took part in the big ones in Wellington at the beginning of the tour, and in Auckland, the second to last Saturday of the tour, just before the final test the following week. They were, I mean, this, that second one was so large that we broke up into mini marches, which were also quite large and kind of attacked the ground, literally, from all sorts of angles. And then in 1998, Bonnie and I took a group of young people down to Wellington for the final leg of the Hikoi of Hope. And while our group that started from Johnsonville and walked down the Nauranga Gorge and along the motorway was quite large, we then met up with a large group coming in from the Wairarapa through the Hutt Valley, and then the South Island group met us at the ferry terminal. All of those felt like we were doing something important. And in each case, we did provoke change, although in some cases it took a while to see that change. And I think that's often how we see Jesus' parade into Jerusalem, as a march like one of those, huge. Certainly, that's how it's portrayed in all the, in all the movies. Uh, so the little movie clip we often used, um, what the last two or three years we've used as people have entered the church for the, for, before the service, has been exactly that. Stopping traffic, huge crowds, everyone involved. But I've also been in some pretty small marches. The anti-Springbok tour march in Blenheim, for example, made some noise, but was very difficult to find. 
apparently rugby was way more important down there. Or our leg of the Hikoi of Hope, which began here in Tauranga. It was not well supported by the Anglican churches or by the local churches. And it turned out to be quite, well, one of the organisers, Bonnie, described it as pathetic, really. It was ignored by most, scorned by quite a few, including quite a few Anglicans. It was met with some confusion and occasional support. I suspect that in reality, Jesus' Palm Sunday march was much more like this. Actually, in Matthew's Gospel, we could more accurately call it Branch Monday. It's said on Monday, and they use branches, not palms, but that's neither here nor there, really. When Jesus came down from the Mount of Olives on his donkey, it was small, maybe pathetic. It would have been ignored by most, met with scorn, confusion, and occasional support, and well, a little bit of fear thrown into the mix, as those who took part and those who observed wondered what Rome's reaction would have been. And it's because there is no reaction that you can more or less guarantee that this was a very small affair. If it had been large, Rome would have been there. And so, from your experience of marches, where might you be in the story? Would you be one of the disciples right at the heart of it? Or would you be one of the cheering crowd? Or are you one of the bystanders looking on, not quite sure what's going on? Or are you somewhere else? In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus and his, which is the gospel we read this morning, Jesus and his followers came to Jerusalem for the first time for this event at Passover. So that's a little bit confusing for us because we've been reading from John over the last few weeks. And in John, Jesus goes to, in and out of Jerusalem quite a bit. Last week's story was set in Jerusalem. The week before was set in Jerusalem. But in Matthew's gospel, he only goes to Jerusalem once and it's right at the end of the story, and he goes at Passover. Passover. Jesus deliberately chooses this great festival, which remembers how God had acted to free the oppressed people of God held in slavery in Egypt, who were then brought out through the wilderness for 40 years, where they learnt what it meant to be freed by this liberating God and what it meant to live in the presence of this liberating God. And then, finally, were led into the land given them, given to them by this God, where they dwelt in the presence of that God. And so this festival is full of themes of liberation and freedom, and was always, always a turbulent time in Jerusalem. And so we can guarantee that at the same time or around the same time that Jesus was entering in his small parade through one gate, at another gate, or another two gates, would have entered Pilate and Herod Antipas. But they did not come on a donkey. They came on war horses. Horses were always animals of war. And they would have been surrounded in Pilate's case by legions, 
and in Herod's case by armed guards. Herod's coming was a little bit more ambivalent. He was a Jew uh, through his mother's side, I think. Uh, and uh, so he would have come to take part in that festival in some way and to be seen to be there. It was important that he was seen to be there. But Pilate was there simply to supervise this unsettling time. And he came with the legions to ensure that the Pax Romana was maintained through violence and fear. And that's important that we remember that that is going on at the same time as Jesus enters. In Matthew then, Jesus and his followers come to Jerusalem for the first time just for this festival. They walk from Galilee to Jerusalem, not on their own, but they would have been part of other groups of other pilgrims who were also coming just for the Passover. Jesus walked everywhere. But when he arrives at the Mount of Olives, he does a deeply symbolic act. He chooses to ride a donkey. Just like Solomon, who rode his father's donkey to be anointed king. Like Solomon, son of David, Jesus enters Jerusalem on a donkey to be proclaimed king. But not the same kind of king as Herod, but the kind of king described by Zechariah. So the message paraphrases the passage from Zechariah as, Shout and cheer, daughter of Zion. Raise the roof, daughter Jerusalem. Your king is coming, a good king who, will, who makes all things right, a humble king riding a donkey, a mere colt of a donkey. I've had it, and that's usually where we, and that's where Matthew stops, it's where we usually stop, and we say, well, Jesus fulfilled that, but you actually need to carry on to understand why Matthew used this. Zechariah continues, I've had it with war. No more chariots in Ephraim, no more war horses in Jerusalem, no more swords and spears, bows and arrows. He will offer peace to the nations, a peaceful rule worldwide, from the four winds to the seven seas. Jesus comes not so much as to fulfill this prophecy, as to be the kind of king described in this prophecy prophecy and he demonstrates this by riding a donkey and so we have Herod and Pilate entering one gate and Jesus the king of peace riding on a donkey through another gate and he then demonstrates this by joining the crowds thronging to the temple where he overturns the tables of those who provide the sacrifices needed to fulfill your Passover obligations like they did a service, you can't do your duty unless they're there. And who changed the Roman money into temple money so that you can pay the temple tax. Again, you can't fulfill your duty without these people. They fulfill a very necessary purpose. So it's not so much them he's drawing attention to, but he's drawing attention to the way that the temple system has been corrupted by the high priests and the leading families who have turned this sacrificial system into a means of enriching themselves through the ongoing demands on the poor to constantly offer, offer, 
offer sacrifice. And then Jesus heals the blind and the sick in the temple. And we often skip over that because he does it all the time. But it's important that he does it in the temple. Because by doing it in the temple, he is symbolically turning the temple from a place where people come to offer to a place where people come to receive healing and life. The temple becomes a place to receive, to dwell in God's peace. And all this points to the end of the week when Jesus himself is anointed as King of Peace on a cross, his title sarcastically nailed above his head. Brian McLaren, one of the people I read and who I quote occasionally, says that to be alive is to learn what makes for peace. He says it's not more threats, more weapons or more fears. It is more faith, more freedom, more hope, more love, more joy. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. This time of year can be a, can be very busy normally. For me, there's lots of extra services that some people come to. For all of us, there are extra responsibilities and activities. Uh, for a lot of us, there's a bit of a holiday, so we have to get ready for that. And it's hard to stop in the midst of the busyness and take note of all of this. But this year, we have an opportunity to stop. To experience the story from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday in a very different way. We also experience the story this year in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of a lockdown. And all that means for each of us in this time of fear and uncertainty, maybe confusion, and for some already loss. Loss of employment, loss of what gave shaped the day. So as we join this peace march this week in our homes, I wonder if there are new ways we are invited into this story, the story of Jesus' peace march, small as it was, and yet a march that changed the world. How are we being invited into this story? What ways might you be invited into more faith, more freedom, more hope, more love, more joy as we sit in our homes. And as we walk through this week, well, we have time to be still. So I invite you to take time to be still, to experience something of God's compassion and healing in this time. And in all of that, I hope you take time to know hope, love, and joy.